0: Okay, with that said, if you could turn to uh, Isaiah. Uh, We're going to be having the reading of Scripture um, from Isaiah. And as you turn there, it will also be up on the screen. It is Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. And as you find that place in your Bible, or you can follow along on the screen, our Elder Steve will be coming up. And what's going to happen is today we're starting a new series called The Light at the End. And uh, Every uh, Advent, every year for Christmas season, we uh, do an Advent series where we focus every week on these candles and we light them, looking forward to Christmas Eve, spoiler alert, where we, everybody gets a candle and we all light up the room for the Christmas Eve service. It's really fun, but we look forward to the light at the end this year. And so today we're going to begin the first section of this Advent series by looking at the peace in our midst. So if you could, would you stand with us for the reading of Scripture? And then after the reading of Scripture, um, you will be invited to sit. And then every week, we're going to be sharing stories, Advent stories, wonderful stories of what God has been doing in 2020. Sometimes when it seems like there's just a lot of crummy stuff going on, we miss the incredible work that God is doing. So we're just going to be sharing those stories as we think about this week in and week out.
1: Cornerstone, we'll go ahead and read Isaiah 9, verses 2 through 7. Isaiah 9, verses 2 through 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Steve. You may have a seat.
2: our adoption of joey and rachel Um, joey's 11 and rachel is three from when we first met them we really didn't have a whole lot of wondering whether it was the right thing it just kind of clicked so that's been a big change for our family going from having no kids to having two all at once it took a lot of patience for us and in 2020 I think it really tested us quite a bit. Finally getting to finalize everything and having the adoption done in August was a really, really special thing in the midst of a whole bunch of uncertainty.
3: You, you feel like you can get it done in a week, but you can't. It's like a month, it took a year, a little over, and then you know, COVID hit, and then it just really pushed everything. Then stuff shut down, and you know, thank goodness for Zoom, because Zoom got us the, the adoption.
2: it's really been, for me, um, a huge year in learning contentment with where I am and putting my faith in God in a totally different way than I've had to before. It seemed, for me, peace goes kind of hand-in-hand with contentment a little bit, like, you know, resting in something that's not here. There is a lot of brokenness in adoption, and it is a beautiful thing. Um, But there's a lot of hard pieces that come with it. And for us, I think the adoption really had a level of peace for us. There was just so much waiting, so much uncertainty, and so much just kind of healing from other things. This was a big um, celebration of peace for us, I think.
3: Once the kids came into the house, you know, and at first it was like, wow, it's two kids. talking back, and the other one's a baby, you know? It's like, oh gosh, we got got our hands full now. Um, But to like, to pull them in from like their darkness and bring them to light that we could show them, you know, like there's no better happiness, I think, than that right there, so. There's the light. (laughs) We light this candle, the candle of
2: peace. To remember that Jesus is the peace in our midst.
0: Man, thank you, Caitlin. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you this morning for this reminder of peace. Jesus, I pray, as we think about the light at the end, that you would just speak into this, that you would shine brightly. Illuminate these words. Speak into our hearts. We give this time to you. We trust you. In your name we pray. Amen. So, as I alluded to earlier this morning, we are beginning our Advent series where we're looking every week at a different aspect of Advent. Today we're focusing on peace. And in particular, we're doing the series called The Light at the End. Because it just seems like in 2020, like I just keep asking that question like, where's the light at the end? <laughs> And as we think about ending 2020 in this year, it just seems like so perfect to think about this, to think about Christmas Eve as we light candles, as we think about the end of 2020 and look forward to 2021. It's just a wonderful reminder to us about what the light at the end is. I don't know about you, but for many, we have found ourselves asking this question, when will this end? My daughter, Selah, uh, is in first grade. And she has been uh, in doing uh, online schooling with the most wonderful teacher in the world. But I remember the other day, uh, she looked at me after a long day of schooling. At one point, she decided she was done with her schooling and she just closed the laptop in the middle of a lesson and thought that it was time to be done. Um, And she looked at me and she said, Daddy. When will this end? When will this end? And for her, she was longing to be in her classroom, with her classmates, with her teacher, just that personal interaction. And for many of us, we have, re, we have restated that question in many different ways. Maybe it's related to the pandemic and being isolated or Thanksgiving being kind of weird or... Um, things happening in our government, or maybe it's it's just life happening—people getting sick, work being challenged, or just stuff happening—we have this question that we find ourselves lamenting, crying out to God, or crying out to whoever will listen: When will this end? Where's the light at the end? It just seems so dark. In the passage that we looked at, that we read today, we read about a darkness in Isaiah, a prophecy that says a people who were walking in darkness. And that just hits a little different to me this year as we think about that. It just seems like things are seem, the darkness seems a little bit more at hand amongst us in different ways. So as we look at this, as we think about the light at the end, this morning, to understand the light, I think it's important that first we understand the darkness. Where did all this come from? Where did this disease and all these lies and all these struggles come from? Why is there darkness here? And so to this morning, we're actually not, we're going to be landing in Isaiah, but for most of this message, I want us to go back to the beginning, to Genesis chapter 3, as we are going to look at together the origin of darkness. The origin, the beginning of all this darkness. The beginning of the, creating this angst in us that asks this question, when will this end? So if you could, in your Bibles... Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, or you can follow along on the screen. It says this. little context, Genesis 1 and 2 is all about the creation of the universe. God creating everything and saying, it's good, it's good, it's very good. This beautiful, perfect creation. and Adam and Eve in the garden in a perfect relationship in paradise. And the enters in darkness. Look at what it says. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Right away, We have this perfect relationship here. And as we think about darkness, we see the way of darkness entering in. The way of darkness through this serpent. And the way is simple. It's lies and deceit. The way of darkness is lies and deceit. This is the way of darkness. Right off the bat, we see this serpent. It tells us he is more crafty. We know that this is, this is Satan himself manifested as a serpent. And it tells us that he is more crafty. In other scriptures, we know that he has, he's a schemer. He's evil, and there's these lies and deception. And right off the bat, it's interesting, as you read this, he says to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? He whispers this lie to her. And if you've been reading in chapter 1 through 2, I would encourage you to look at, at the author of Genesis, how God is referred to. You're going to see in your English translations, the Lord God. Yahweh Elohim in chapters 1 and 2. You see, Yahweh was the personal name of God. It was the name that God's people called him in a personal. It meant that he personally was involved in pursuing his people. He is walking and talking. We get the sense in the Garden of Eden that God is amongst his people. Yet Satan comes in, the serpent comes in, and he says, Did God. Did Elohim, he removes the personal aspect of God. He doesn't say Yahweh Elohim, he just says Elohim. He plants this seed in Eve that God is a far off, distant God. Who doesn't want to get metal in the affairs of Eve and Adam? He plants this seed in her. And then he also twists what God said. He says, did he say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Look at all these trees. You can't eat of any of these trees. Eve, she recognizes this. She says in verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree, of the fruit of the tree, the fruit of the tree, the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, Neither shall you touch it lest you die. So Eve corrects him. She says, no, actually, God didn't say that we couldn't eat from any tree. He just said we couldn't eat from a particular tree. You see the deception and the lies and the twisting. But then you can also see that they're starting to plant in Eve because she says that God said, unless you touch it, you will die. God never said, unless you touch it. He just said, don't eat of it. And so we already see this deceiving and this lying and this this twisting of the truth happening even in Eve as she's explaining to the serpent what is going on. We can see the way of the darkness. And then we see also, if you move up to verse 7, we're not just going to see the way of darkness, we're also going to see the product of darkness the product of darkness. Actually, back to verse 6. It says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig trees, fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. You see that they fall into the way of darkness and they disobey, they sin. They go against the ways of God. And instantly, instantly, there's a result. there's a consequence. And so we see that the product, the result of this sin, is shame and hiding. Instantly, their eyes are open, and they see their own nakedness, and they start to become afraid. And so they cover themselves up. And how do they cover themselves up? With their own work. They go and try to find fig tree leaves, fig leaves, to cover themselves up, to cover up their shame. And just look at what is happening as darkness is creeping in. Verse 8, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This is just a normal thing. God is walking in the garden. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence. And then here the author goes back, Of the Lord God of Yahweh Elohim. Among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? You can see instantly, as a result of the sin, of the darkness, shame and hiding. And we can, we can relate to this on so many levels as we think about this. As we think about our own struggles, as we think about our own shame over our sin or over our feeling inadequate and hiding from God or trying to cover up our mistakes and sin with, with good works. We see this here. We can relate to this here. Many of us are still hiding today. Many of us are still, as God is asking that question, where are you? We feel inadequate or too broken and too fallen because of this darkness, not just darkness around us, darkness within us. So we see the result of darkness, but we also see a curse of darkness. And the curse is denial and struggle. Denial and struggle. As God questions and invites Adam and Eve into this, look at what he says. The man said in verse 12, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, what is it that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Adam's like, you put a naked woman in the garden with me. How could I not listen to her? And then Eve's like, "No, it's not my fault? It's, it's this serpent. And Adam, his denial, goes to even blame, saying, "You did this God. You put this in, 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 You put this darkness in me." And how often do we do this as we think about our shame and our guilt and our sin as we deny? And we blame. It's like we're born with this. My little Ruth, she has this little saying. I didn't teach her this, but whenever she's doing something wrong or asking for something, she says, but Selah, her big sister, but Selah, she says it over and over and over again. I see it in my kids, and and if I'm honest, and I want to be honest, I see it in myself we see it in ourselves as we think about the darkness about how we tend to deny and blame and so we see this curse here but we also see a struggle look at the struggle that happens as a result of this darkness that god curse that god pronounces upon humanity result of our darkness verse 16 To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. You see, wonderful, glorious creation of Eden has this curse now, and the wonderful gift that God has given to womanhood of having a baby of having giving life there 's even a struggle in that there 's now this pain in that, and the pain is not just the deep pain of having a child there 's also pain in raising a child now or there 's pain in darkness in not being able to have a child of longing for this. Motherhood, fatherhood, and not having that. This is a result of the darkness. It is a result of this. There's this pain in the child bearing. But there's also this pain in work, this struggle in work. And this, and, and hear this, when we read this, work is not seen as evil. In chapters one and two, God gives work to man and woman. He tells them to work the ground. He tells them to protect the garden. He tells them to be fruitful and multiply. You see, there's dignity and value in work. We are a created people that were made to work. But now, because of the work, there's, because of sin, there's thistles and thorns. And the joy of work can be hard to find. And there's a struggle in this, and we feel this, and we ask ourselves, how much longer, when will this end? And we can see the effects of this fall all throughout, with disease, with the world blaming and denying, with many people living in shame over the way they look, over the things they've done, And as we think about this darkness, we recognize that it starts here in this true story of humanity. This is where it begins. And we can relate so much to this. But, church, Advent is not about the darkness. It's about the light at the end. It's about the peace in our midst. The light in the darkness. And if you read this text, hear this, you're going to see the peace in the midst. You're going to see Yahweh Elohim speaking into his people, bringing hope and peace and faith and joy and light into this darkness that we created, that we Created that you see Yahweh bring in and pursue. As we can see this peace here, this church we relate that we are pursued by the personal God who provides his prince of peace, to our dark disaster of deceit. The prince of peace to our darkness. He provides it, and here's how we see this here. First, he pursues us personally. I love in this passage, you see God walking through the garden, and he says, where are you? you find it peculiar that God was wondering where they were he knew exactly where they were he knew exactly what they had done we know in scripture that God is all-knowing we know that he sees all knows all so why did he ask this question he asked this question to give Adam and Eve an opportunity to respond and confess honestly this is the first gospel God doesn't just snap his finger and, and give them what they deserve. He says, where are you? Isn't that wonderful? And then even when they still, they still have the consequence of their sin, they are cast out of the garden. But you can see in verse 20, I would encourage you, look at what happens in verse 20. I think it's 20, I hope it is. Verse 20 and 21, after this curse, it says, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God, look at what he does. Look at the peace in the midst. He made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. They're naked in shame from their sin. What does God do? There's an animal sacrifice killed, and its skin covers them to clothe them, to clothe them in righteousness. You not see the peace and the grace of God even in this story? And even in the curse. Look at verse 15. Look at verse 15. In the midst of this curse that we created, that we asked for from God, holy, mighty, awesome God, look at this. Look at what he says to the serpent. He says, I will put enmity between you, he's talking to the serpent and the woman, and between your offspring, between your seed, generation after generation after generation, and her offspring. And then, so he's talking about your offspring, and then in the Hebrew, the, 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 the uh, pronoun here goes from plural to singular. It says, he, meaning one person, shall bruise your head, serpent, and you shall bruise his heel. You will hurt him, but he shall bruise your head. And as we read the rest of Scripture, we see this playing out. We see Cain killing his righteous brother Abel. We see Joseph with his brothers, a seed, struggling with his brothers. We see Jacob and Esau. We see David and his brothers and God constantly Weaving throughout this theme of this seed, and we're wondering, when is the he in this promise all the way back to the garden? When is it going to come? How long, O Lord? When will it end? And then we get to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. We just read about the people walked in darkness, and then Isaiah declares, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called. And when we talk about name in scripture, name is about who you are. So what you do, it's about your attributes. What is the name of this one to come? Wonderful counselor. Do we not need a wonderful counselor shining in this darkness? Mighty God, do we not need not just a wonderful counselor, but a mighty God who can do something about the darkness? Everlasting Father, timeless Prince of Peace. Peace here is a word called shalom. And peace in Hebrew, this is not referring to like sitting around playing a flute and, uh, you know, sitting in lilies. Um, with beautiful rainbows and butterflies. This is a wonderful, strong word in Hebrews that is about completion, about making all things right. The word we call shalom. It's a word that we greet each other when we say grace and peace to you. We believe in this peace. And here in Isaiah, it says, when he comes, he is the prince of peace. So we know in Luke chapter 2, when Jesus came as a baby, this is the one that we celebrate. We long for His return to make everything right on earth as it is in heaven. But as we look at this, we recognize some important truths. You see, we are not in Eden. We have been cast out because of our darkness. We, church, live as an exiled people. Longing for home. Longing for Eden. We are east of Eden. We are in the thistles and the thorns and the struggle. Yet, hear this, uniquely, uniquely, no other religion, no other faith can say this, uniquely present in the midst of the darkness with an honesty and a peace about us, knowing the light at the end. Knowing the light at the end. We know that one day Jesus will return and make all things right. And as we think about the Christmas story and we join in the anticipation of Christmas Eve and his first incarnation, we know that he lived a perfect life, died on a cross for our sins as our covering And he promised us, I will return and bring shalom. And in the midst of it, as you think about darkness, as you, as you ask that question that my daughter Selah asked, when will this end? We know it will, and we do so believing that Jesus is the light at the end. But hear this, he's also the light in our hearts. He's that Peace. He's the one that we lean into and believe in. Psalm 27.1 says this. My prayer is that we are people that sing this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? What darkness shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life Of whom shall I be afraid? Is that your song? Is that your story? Pray it is. In this Christmas season, as we think about the light at the end, not just of 2020, but the light at the end, when we will experience glory, I love thinking about this as God's people. I love thinking about the story of the pasmas. In the midst of Zoom calls and in the midst of a painful, long adoption process, God continuing to work and move right now in the presence. Just like in Genesis chapter 3, God didn't go anywhere, and he hasn't gone anywhere this year. He's right here. And church... We must be a people that reject the lies, that reject the deception, that refuse to live in shame, that refuse to to deny and blame, that are honest about our struggle because we are struggle. We will struggle. The church, friend, you have a God who cries out to you right now in this moment, where are you? Who's pursued you? And our response is an honest response. I'm right here. And I would encourage you this morning to respond in that way to respond believing in that peace that surpasses understanding. I love what Caitlin said in that video. She said, 2020 really tested us quite a bit. Learning contentment with where I am and putting my faith in God in a totally different way than I had ever before. And then she said, peace goes hand in hand with contentment. It's about resting in something that is not here, yet it is here. She said the adoption had a level of peace for us. So much waiting, so much healing from other things, just a celebration of peace for us. My prayer for you this holiday season, this Advent season is that you would celebrate peace on earth. That you would celebrate that you have a God who cries out, where are you? A God whose name is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In a few moments, we're going to sing a song. Song is, there's this chorus that I just want us to sing And as you prepare your hearts to sing this, I would like you to think about these words. Because a part of Advent is lament. It is a longing for the Lord to come. But it's also a statement of faith, and it says this. You are singing to God who you say you are. You'll do what you say you'll do. You'll be who you've always been to us, Jesus. Our hope is in you alone. Our strength in your mighty name, wonderful counselor, prince of peace, everlasting God. One more, I forgot. And hear this, our peace in the darkness remains, what? Jesus, would you sing this, but most importantly, would you live this with me? Let us be a people that continue to say, we have a peace that surpasses understanding. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the peace in our midst. That we, as we think about the light at the end, that we know that the light is not some far-off Element. The light is you, Jesus. The light is your presence. The light is your truth of you on a cross, dying for our sins, resurrecting, living, advocating for us, calling us, Where are you, Lord? We respond, I am here. And we pray together that you would speak into us. We pray that your peace would continue to reign in our lives, that your light would continue to shine in our darkness, and we long for your return. We long for the end. But we, as a people, continue to declare, we are here with an honesty. We confess our darkness to you and know that you've dealt with it You've taken care of it. And I pray, Lord, as we sing together, whether we're watching online or whether we're here together, this would just be a moment for us to do some business with you. This would be a chance for us just to talk and sing and pray to you. So we ask you to receive our praise. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us?